Well, good morning. It's such an honor and a privilege to be here this morning. The most anticipated time of the year for us is to stand before you. You might as well get ready for it. <laughs> and share with you how we have hung on to a tornado this year. How we will be entering our eighth year in the mission field this coming year. It's so hard to believe it has flown by. So much has happened this past year. We saw a church plant. We are running in the 50s. The first Sunday, ladies came to my wife and said, can we have a Bible study? It's not something you say no to, right? So you saw the photos of the ladies having a great time studying God's Word, playing games, having crafts. We're running about 20, averaging about 20. When Louise came on board, we began to discuss and prepare to have a youth service. But we didn't get time to announce it. The youth came and asked us if we would have a youth service. <laughs> the easiest thing that I've seen happen. And then a home of refuge for women of domestic violence and human trafficking. All taking place in about six months. To God be the glory. But it didn't start out that way for us. I think I have to confess something to you today, and it's not easy. And you probably don't know it about me. But you see, I'm a knothead. <laughs> I can only learn in the school of hard knocks. Things don't come that easy for me. Today I want us to look at a story in God's Word, maybe a different perspective. It comes in Genesis. God had a plan to create a great and mighty nation. And he started with a family, 12 brothers. The story of Joseph, the sons of Jacob. God had a plan to bring them and create the great and mighty nation of Israel. But he had to get them from where they were to where he wanted them to be. And he chooses Joseph. You know the story. Joseph is the baby, the baby brother. Now, I was a baby brother in my family for almost five years. And then Billy came along, okay? <laughs> this baby brother was despised by his other brothers. Hated, jealous of him. His father loved him. Born to Rebecca, the love of Jacob's life. But God had to get them to where he wanted them to be. So what happens? His brothers plot to kill him, but change their mind. They sell him into slavery. From there, he is pushed into a new country, surrounded by a new language. It's not easy, believe me. 
a whole new language he must learn, and he must be formed and shaped into what God wants him to be. So into slavery he goes. He is bought by the captain of the bodyguards of Pharaoh himself, where soon he is put in, he is put in charge of the household. But that's not enough. God wants to teach him more. He's accused when uh, the captain's wife cannot seduce him. She accuses him of rape, trying to rape her, and he's thrown into prison. Yet another lesson comes. Soon, he's put in charge of the prison. He's run a household, so now he's running great many men, prisoners inside the prison. From there, he meets the cupbearer to the king, Pharaoh himself, and the royal baker. They both have a dream. And Joseph interprets the dream for them. He says, now don't forget me. As you leave, the cupbearer leaves, he gets out, the baker's put to death, just as he said what happened in their dreams. Now he stands. But God's not finished yet. He's still got to teach Joseph a little bit more. The cupbearer forgets about him. And he stays in prison two more years. But does he come out bitter? No. When finally the Pharaoh himself has a dream and no one can interpret that dream, the cupbearer remembers a man named Joseph that he saw in prison that interpreted a dream for him. But here comes Joseph. Finally, he is called out of prison. And we are now in the 40, 41st chapter. We began in the 37th, and now we're in the 41st. The 14th verse that I want us to look at. Joseph, he comes out of prison. And what is the first thing he's ready to do? Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they heartily brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Now Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can't interpret it. Now Joseph has learned something. Joseph then answers Pharaoh, saying, It is not me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And we skip down to 32. Now, as for the repeating of the dreams to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God will quickly bring it about. He comes out of prison, not bitter, but humble. He has learned who's in charge. Amen? He 
immediately introduces Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to his God. That's how he starts. And you know the story. He goes on to be what God wants him to be, to be all he can be. And a great and mighty nation is born. They were brought to Egypt. And about 400 years later, a new pharaoh is going to really come to know the God of Israel. I have always only learned in a school of hard knocks. I'm a knothead. If you don't believe me, you can ask my daddy. He'll tell you. But I learned it well. If you know him, you know it's true. But God has been so good. But like I said this past year, all that we saw take place, all that happened, didn't start out quite that well. Or didn't, start quite, didn't quite start out that way. You see, you know the great thing that happened to us. You know, this past year, we, or last year, we stood up here and told you that we felt called to purchase real estate. If we could raise $75,000 for down payment. And God did it. He brought us to that point. So the real estate was purchased. And in March, we moved on to the property. Now, wasn't quite what we thought it was going to be. The house that we chose to live in, we decided we better set up a tent and live inside the tent inside the house, at least sleep in a tent. It was nice, man. We had it all decked out. We had a fan in there, had full-size bed. Trisha had a nightstand to set a bottle of water on. It was fantastic. But we found we had lots of scorpions in the house. It's not what we wanted to sleep with. So the tent came in handy. And we had it. We didn't have to go out and buy it. We also learned this house that had been abandoned for 15 years. Honeybees decided to move in above our bedroom. Now, there was an inch and a half ceiling between us, tongue and groove ceiling. But for me, that's not enough. I'm allergic to bees. And the first night we were there with the light on, somehow they found their way inside our room. I had to kill four or five. I'm sorry, I had to kill them. I couldn't capture them and take them back outside. So the tent came in very handy. That was the first thing. But the volunteers came out for us. Immediately we set in motion and made the decision that the easiest thing to do was to begin the home of refuge for women. We had a dear sister named Carmen that this had been a calling in her life and she was just about ready. She just had no place to do it. So Carmen came on board, her daughter, as quick as they could get there, and we're just fixing things. 
You know, uh, commodes that stay without water, the tanks, the, ru- the rubber in them just rot. So the flapper's bad, the washers are bad, the bowls leak, the, the tanks leak. and It's not expensive to fix, but it takes time. Take one apart, put it back together. Take one apart and put it back together. But God was there. We were overwhelmed with emotion. We began to celebrate and have uh, church service on our front porch. We would gather there, anybody that was on the property, we would gather there and we would pray and we would sing and we would share. God was always in it because we never had any plans, but everyone almost always came with the same scripture that they had read the week before. It was wonderful, wonderful times. We got the property up, we got it cleaned up. We uh, had the home ready, the beds were in it. They were made, but no women came. We prayed. We put the word out. We talked to the government. We talked to other missionaries. We let them know that we had a home of refuge, but no women came. You see, God didn't want us to start the home of refuge first. He wanted us to have a church first. And we had not opened our doors to the community yet. So this knucklehead had to be taught a lesson. We came home and saw the birth of our fifth grandchild. And we were here. Brother Tim said he would like to see us and talk to us and know how things are going. So we came in and we spent time with him. He said, well, why don't y'all just start with the church? Thick-headed, (laughs) thick-headed. We had even, at the time, had um, Carmen. She had made the decision. She was going to sweep and mop the church every day. She says, we got to keep God's house in order. We'll just keep praying. The women are going to come. The women are going to come. And those ladies mopped and cleaned, mopped and cleaned every day, the little chapel. So when we returned, we're trying to get our residency going. We've got tons of paperwork. Everything's going have to make time to begin the church service. And so we did. Tony happened to be there. Y'all know Tony Rayum. You saw his photo. He was there. He'd been taking Spanish lessons and he wanted to get out and speak in the community. So he and the ladies went out. Trish and I were in Tegucigalpa and they talked to some people and began to take a survey if there was church service on the property, would y'all come? There were many that said no. They said it straight right away. They were Catholic. They would not be attending our church service. But several said yes. So when we returned and Tony said he'd been out and that they had talked, and we thought, well, let's just do it. We set a date and invited in the community. We went out and visited to just a few others. And here they came. 
So we sat there and we prepared. We thought, okay, we'll have it at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And we've we just done it very easy so I can remember. Everything's at 3 o'clock. Women's Bible studies at 3 o'clock. Youth services at 3 o'clock. And our church service is Sunday afternoon at 3. Our good friend that introduced us to the property and showed us the property, he came and he was ready to preach. So here we were. We sat and we waited and we watched. We talked and we visited. No one, they, they never hardly start on time. You want to start at three, you better tell everybody two or two thirty. But that first sight, they didn't come one at a time. They came in a group. And we looked up and from the dining hall there where we had set up the pews, we began to look. And it wasn't just one or two. We had about 20 or 30 come walking down the lane, headed for the chapel. It was such a great feeling. It was so overwhelming. It was a very emotional moment for us. And they came on board, and they they walked in, and we greeted them, and uh, we began our church service. They loved it. And like I said, here they came. They wanted a women's Bible study. It was so easy, so easy to see take place because what God wanted in El Tamate was a church service. There was no church there. We shared that with you last year, remember? No church. People, if they, if they were going to attend church, they had to get on a bus. It cost 20 limps, 20 limpera. That's almost a dollar. To get on a bus and go. So if you take your family, it could be four or five dollars, and four or five dollars to come back. And we're talking about people, they're lucky if they make ten dollars a week. The poverty is that bad in the area where we are. So here they were, able to have church service, and they came out. We had a dedication service. Dedicated the property. All the board of uh, our, the mission was there. The mission that we founded, borders expanded. They all came out and everybody was there. And we had over 200 people come and show up. They told us that all the mission organizations that had ever been there, they'd never seen anybody dedicate the property. And they wanted to see what was going on. Or they wanted to see the goofy gringos, I don't know. <laughs> but they poured out and they came. And they were there. Service, the music was a little loud for me. I had to keep one ear in the, or one finger in my ear, but there it was. It was glorious. It was wonderful to see them there, to get to share, but most of all, introduce them to our God. Then, Trisha was in Tegucigalpa in a meeting with the government about the boys you know that we fell in love with in San Pedro Sula, another city last year. And uh, she was there meeting with them about those boys. And then she overheard a conversation about a lady that needed a place to be, her and her son. This lady, her sister had been a police officer and had been murdered by a drug cartel. 
They had made a commitment that they would kill the entire family, and she was the only remaining survivor. She had lost two sons, and she had a 16-year-old boy that was crippled because he had been shot. They needed a place to keep them safe. They were trying to get them a visa and get them out of the country. So Trisha told him, said, well, we have a home of refuge. And said, uh, let me talk to my husband and talk to the ladies there and we'll see what we can do. So she came back and we prayed and uh, we were a little leery. This was something that was pretty dangerous. Our missionary friends said, don't do it. Don't get involved with it. Don't do it, Kelly. Don't do it, Trisha. You don't know how dangerous it is. But we made the trip back to town, and we sat down. And we spoke to that lady and her son. Do you know what a face looks like with no hope? They didn't know if the gangs would find them. In the next 24 hours, they had no hope. We left, still everybody saying, don't do it, don't do it. We just kept looking at each other. We couldn't get their faces out of our minds. We said, we can't walk away from this. We made plans that we would meet them in a different location. We wouldn't let anybody bring them to the property. And we started that process. I picked them up. I was uh, with Samuel. And boy, you, 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 some of you remember, I'd call him Sammy. We've seen him get through college. He'd be graduating this spring. He has been sworn in as an attorney. Such a blessing get to see that. He went with me. Told me, said, no, you're not going by yourself. I got, I'm going to go with you. So we picked up this lady and her son. We drove them to the property. I'll never forget the next day as I saw her son come across the field. He'd been out and he'd walked a little bit. They told us that it was the best night's sleep that they had been able to have in a very long time. To be able to get outside and feel the wind upon their face. To be able just to walk and know freedom. Not being locked in a room somewhere hiding. We knew that they were just going to be with us for two weeks. And it turned out just to be a week. We took them back to town for a meeting. I don't know where they are. I really didn't even, we didn't even want to know their real names. We gave, them, we gave them names that we had, Danielle and Sarah. Sarah and Daniel is what we called them. And that's what we told them. We told them, you don't have to tell anybody at the home anything about it yourself. You don't have to do anything. Just be there, relax, and be safe. God allowed us to see that. We have seen with the church, praise God, eight professions of faith we were able to show the Jesus film in the local school 
something that we're, we don't always get to do here. Can't hardly talk about God in public hardly anymore. But here in a school in Honduras, on a Saturday morning, the teacher always has an activity for the parents to come. He wants to keep his, the parents involved with their kids. So he said, we want, will y'all come and show the Jesus film? said, we'll be glad to. Great Christian guy. So we showed him the Jesus film for children. And uh, we had one profession of faith there. Young lady that was involved with the home with us. And then the next day at church, in children's church, we had seven more. I was just overwhelmed when Evelyn came to me and said, and brought the, their names and said, all these kids made a profession of faith today. Can't wait to see the baptism. We had one baptism because we thought Suyapa would be leaving our program while, just before we left to come back to the States. Suyapa is a 14-year-old girl that was sold to men by her own mother. She came to be with us and came into the program there. And we had the church there for her. She was very skeptical, skeptical about everybody and, and, and different people that she would see. She was really scared, very timid. <laughs> but we saw Suyapa blossom. She began to change. We'd always gather together before we eat and we have prayer. Bless the meal and... The kids, little ones, always want to pray. We have several other women there, and they have children. So the kids always want to pray. Suyapa was just always quiet. Well, one day the little ones are arguing over who's going to pray. Say the blessing for the food. And Suyapa says, no, Tito, I'm going to do that. And I said, okay. She says, no, I was just kidding. I don't want... I said, no, you've already said you want to do it, so you can do it. I know you can. You can pray. It's very emotional for me to hear Suyapa pray out loud in public. She was one of them that made a profession of faith, accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior. The church was there. The plant... The, plant, the church was planted, and it was there. To be a ministry, not only Tricia and Kelly trying to set an example and be great disciples in front of them, but a church with Christians there. To see a whole body of believers, to see them worship. It's what the home of refuge needed. And it had to be first. God taught Joseph Humility. He taught him how to listen and be prepared. And he taught him how to be a leader. I have always been ready to serve. Since God called us into the mission field, I wanted to be available. I wanted to do whatever God wanted me to do. To plant a church wasn't what I thought I would ever do. I haven't been to seminary. I'm not that knowledgeable. Like I said, I'm just an old knothead. 
but God uses us. And he can use everyone else here, anyone else here, if you're willing to serve, however he calls you, however he wants you to be, wherever he wants you to be. Joseph came out of the school of hard knocks. And first thing he was ready to do was to share his God. The God that he had become to know with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That's what all of us should be prepared to do. First and foremost in our lives is to share the God that we know, our Lord and Savior. Be ready at a moment's notice, whatever it be, ready to do whatever he calls us to do. There was a time this year, as we began to work, I kept thinking about how I could do more and be able to fix more things if I had more tools, if I had a truck, if I had this, if I had that. And I found myself every day thinking, all right, God, this is what I need. God, this is what I need. We need this. We need that. But somehow we were fixing things with just a few tools and a skill saw, hand saw. One day I found myself thinking, okay, Kelly, look around you. See where God has brought us and what we've got to see and what we're being part of. You just need to be thankful for what you have. And I made it a point every day to thank God for what we had. Visitors came. And you don't know how good I felt when they bought a wheelbarrow. <laughs> I was thankful for the wheelbarrow. God had provided. Then a chainsaw. I'm not very good with a machete. Hondurans can take and cut down a tree. But I am a bit dangerous. So a chainsaw came into our lives. Man, we were just, everything was going so good. I can't wait to return. See what has happened while we left. They've continued visiting. We've seen new faces. We see the lady and her five girls walk for two hours to come to church. Now, they visited them while we were gone. We drove when I went and visited them. I didn't walk. So our workers and the people of our church, it took them about an hour and a half to get to their house. This lady has a small child, so she has to stop a lot rest and put her down. So, two hours it takes her to come to church. She loves the Lord. She loves to worship. 
to see her raise her hand, to see her sing the hymns, to see her praise God. It's what God wanted us to do. We're there. We're ready to serve. We had to be persuaded to start with the church. Good counsel from our pastor. But it's there. You saw the photos, you saw the faces. I still can't believe that I get to be there and I get to serve my Lord and Savior in Honduras. And now in this magnitude in a church. Always be ready. Always be ready to serve. Brother Tim's going to come. I don't know what time we are. I'm way ahead. Okay. I want him to pray for us. And uh, oh, I have your microphone. But I did not get it out of your drawer. Warren did it. Okay. Let's thank Kelly and Tisha. Thank them. Yeah, on your feet. Yeah, I love you so much. Maybe you were made for more. Amen. Maybe you were made for more. Eight years ago, Kelly and Trisha were sitting in your pew. They were willing. Now, you heard Kelly in the whole last year. I, I was paying close attention. Most of what you did was fix toilets, <laughs> it, it seems like. He fixes things. You know, before he was a missionary, he had his own sheet metal business, heating and cooling. I mean, this is what Kelly does. He, he, he fixes things. He's still fixing things, and, and he speaks Spanish with a redneck accent. Amen. And it's amazing. Uh, it took so much medication to get Trisha on the airplane the first time. I mean, we had to medicate her. She didn't fly. She was scared to fly. She didn't want to fly. But they showed up with willingness. Look how God is using them. Maybe God wants more from you. Maybe there's more for your life than just shopping and cooking and cleaning and working and arguing with the kids. Maybe there's more for you. Maybe God would do something amazing with you if you would just show up with willingness. If you'd surrender some things, if you'd be willing, just willing to do whatever God would ask you to do, maybe there's more for you. Would you at least ask the question, would you ask God what he wants you to do? Would you surrender yourself completely to him? Would you give him everything? Maybe there's more for you. Maybe the more you give of the Lord, the more you will realize that he created you for something important. There's more. Let's pray together, then we'll sing. God, forgive us 
for not living the lives that you created us to live. Forgive us for shrinking ourselves. Forgive us, Lord, for making our lives only about ourselves, our families. Forgive us, Lord, for making such unimportant things the most important things to us. Lord, forgive us for living for ourselves. Lord, when you show up with such power, forgive us for showing up with such selfishness and smallness. Lord, we know that you made us for more. You created us for more. Help us, Lord, to surrender, to give it all, to make ourselves, Lord, simply willing to serve in whatever way and whatever place you would send us. Lord, we thank you for Kelly and Trisha. And, Lord, we ask you to to continue to expand the borders of their ministry, Lord, that they may continue to serve you in such an important and big way in Honduras. Now, Lord, send more of us. Send me, send this church, Lord, whatever it is that you created us for, Lord, may all your purposes for our lives be fulfilled. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, whom we love and whom we serve. Amen.